Now, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and in those 30-plus years, I've done a lot of weddings. Um, one of the things that we do with pretty much every couple that, we, uh, that I have a chance to marry is that we do some kind of premarital counseling. And, and usually one of the earlier sessions in that premarital counseling, I will get both parties together and I will say, well, write down the five greatest strengths and the five greatest weaknesses of your fiancé. And, uh, you know, and then I'll ask, you know, and why do you want to marry this person? What is it that attracts you to them? Now, after doing this for more than 30 years, I have found a couple things that are very consistent in the answers. First, when I ask each person to write down, you know, the strengths and weaknesses, I will then ask, what was easier? Was it easier to think of the strengths or was it easier to think of the weaknesses? And pretty much in every couple, they will come back and they say, oh, it was a lot easier to think of the strengths. Oh, a lot of times they're even like, oh, we had a hard time thinking of, of five weaknesses of the other person. And, and the other thing that is common in the response is that, you know, I've never had a man that has told me that, well, what I'm really attracted to in my fiance is she is really masculine. You know, she's got these really masculine traits and, and uh, that makes her irresistible. I've never had a woman that has come and said, well, what I'm really attracted to, I want to marry him because he's very feminine for a guy. It just is so attractive. Now, no, you know, what you often hear is that they love she loves his masculinity. He, she's attracted to the femininity. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of obvious. I mean, you're getting married, and it shouldn't be a shock to say that what attracts a man to a woman is the fact that she's a woman. What attracts a woman to a man is the fact that he's a man, is masculinity. But what's interesting in that is that while I've never met a couple going into marriage where they're attracted to the femininity of the guy or the masculinity of the woman, the fact is that I've also been doing this 30 years. I've met with a lot of couples who are married over the course of the year. And there have been countless times when I've talked to couples that have been married who are now coming and saying, the problem is he's so male. The problem is I don't understand her femininity. You know, the problem is that, you know, that, you know, he's so much a man, he just, you know, he's insensitive, he doesn't do this, and he doesn't, or a woman, you know, it's like men were just like, you know, she's so emotional and she wants to talk so much, I can't figure her out. And, and I find this interesting that on the one hand, you know, we, we're attracted to the differences, but yet when we're married, those are the very things that frustrate us and often drive us apart. And men and women are equally guilty of this. See, we're initially attracted by those differences, but at the same time, we're, what we're, attracts us and excites us over time, over, we can now change our perspective and now we become frustrated and they actually divide us. And, and not only are they different, but then we feel like they don't understand us and they're not even trying to understand us. And over time, we become more and more divided. Well, not only that, if you go back to the, even the other question, we'd ask, okay, what's easier to think of so the strengths or the weaknesses? And, and these are related. You know, I'll have all the couples before they're married, oh, it's a lot easier to think of the strengths. But again, in 30 years of meeting with couples, that's not usually the answer I would hear from couples who have been married for some time. In my experience, I would tell you, if I met with 100 couples that have been married three years or longer, and I have them write down your five greatest strengths, five greatest weaknesses, I would tell you that probably at least 95 out of the 100 would say, oh, it was a lot easier to think of the weaknesses. Now, you have to ask, why is that? Why is it that before we get married, it's so much easier to think of the strengths, afterwards, it's so much easier to think of the weaknesses? What happened? Is it, and is it, we've got it, why is it that we are naturally prone to think of the other weaknesses? And is it possible to change that trend? Now, I will tell you, this is a really important question. 
for the simple reason. You see, if I talk to a couple and I realize that they are far more focused on their spouse's strengths, on that point alone, I can tell you they probably have a pretty good relationship. On the other hand, if I talk to a couple and they are more focused and fixated and frustrated by the other person's weaknesses, on that point alone, I can tell you they've got problems in their marriage. So this is an enormously important question. And we have to ask, is it possible to love our spouse in such a way that we know their weaknesses, but instead of becoming fixated and frustrated by them, we still somehow appreciate and value and admire the other person's strengths? Now, I will tell you, even as I talk about it, it's an issue that I personally struggled with in my own marriage. I mean, I was in my uh, late 20s when I married Sandy. We'd known each other for over four years when we got married. And, and at that time, we were getting married. Oh, it's a lot easier to think of her strengths. I was thankful for this wonderful woman who God had given to me and all the strengths that she had. And, and yet, within several years of marriage, my mind had changed on that. I had now become very frustrated with her weaknesses and, and, and her differences and had grown both negative and critical in my marriage. And fortunately, God intervened in such a way that, that I came to realize that our marriage wasn't headed in a good direction. And I also realized that it wasn't her fault. It wasn't that she changed, that she had these great strengths beforehand and now got a lot worse after we got married. No, it's I had changed. My perspective had changed. And God needed to do something in me for ultimately for him to do healing in our relationship. And the Bible does give practical advice. We're going to actually come back to that answer at the very end of the message. So I'm going to make you stay for the whole thing to hear it. Um, you know, but the fact is, it gives very practical advice. And I'm going to do it at the end because it's going to build on everything we're going to talk about this morning. So we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And what we're seeing in Ephesians 5 is God gives unique instruction to men and women and, and marriage. And what we're finding is that, that he gives different instructions to men and to women, to husbands and to wives, that we're called to love each other in different ways because we have different needs and we have different strengths and, and we're called to love each other in a way that meets the other person's needs. But before he gives us the different instructions, he starts by giving us, in a sense, a universal instruction that applies to us all to both men and women, and, and really all the relationships that were, in a sense, called to have a universal language of, of love, of other-centered love. And so if you look at, uh, in Ephesians 5, you know, before you get into verses 20 through, through 24, and it says to uh, wives, okay, this is what you're called to do, and respect your husbands, and, and before we get into 25 through 27, you know, 33, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Before he gets into all that, there's this call to a kind of love that should define all of our relationships. This overarching call that, that defines everything that he's about to say. Look at Ephesians 5.21. What does it say? It calls us to have relationships where we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we don't often like the word submitting. It sounds like it's this weak, passive word, but it's not. It's actually not a word of weakness. It's a word of strength. What he's calling us to is this submissive love that doesn't submit to another person's will or to their demands, but we're submitting ourselves to the other person's needs and to their growth. It's where we proactively choose to submit our personal agenda, our personality, and even our desires to the needs and the growth of those around us, specifically our family. It's the kind of love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, which we talked about a few moments ago. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't describe love in emotional terms. It's not that we feel a certain way, that we're in love. But it talks about a love that 
acts, a love that chooses. Look at how it's described, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It's an action word. But I love what it says here. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That's a huge part of what we're going to be talking about this morning because we have differences. And so often we're going to like, why isn't she like me? Why isn't he understanding? Why doesn't he do this? And what we're doing is we're insisting in marriage, you have to adjust to me. And what does the Bible say? No, love doesn't do that. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful on the other person's differences. No, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's this commitment to act in such a way that perseveres through the differences, that tries to understand the other person, you know, literally learning to speak their language. And the ultimate example of this is the way that we've been loved by Jesus, that he's the one that showed that ultimate other-centered love, self-sacrificial love, when he gave himself on the cross to meet our deepest needs. And that's what even Ephesians 5 refers to. What is that ultimate example? Look what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the way that we're to love, that self-sacrificial way. Now, for those of you who are here married, that's at the essence, the core of the vows that you made on your wedding day. You see, you vowed to love and honor your spouse till death do you part. This wasn't a promise that had conditions. It wasn't, well, as long as he's meeting my need, as long as I feel compatible, as long as you know, I feel like it. No, it's unconditional, unconditional circumstances for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Now, while we are all called to love each other with this kind of self-sacrificial, other-centered love that's universal, there's also a sense that the way that we do that is different. Because we realize that God has called us as men and women, we are different. We are with created differences. And so we're to love each other, not only in this universal way, but also in a way that learns to speak the unique language, meeting the unique needs of our spouse. You can say, in a sense, there's a universal call to love, but we're also, at the same time, called to be bilingual in that love. So now we could go all the way back to, again to Ephesians 5. This is the idea that we see. So you start in verse 21, and he says, okay, submit to one another out of, out of other-centered love. But then we look at the rest of the chapter, and he says, now, wives, here's the unique way that you love your husbands. Husbands, here's the unique way that you love your wives. You should understand each other, love each other according to that understanding. And that's not rooted in culture. It's not like Paul saying this, saying, okay, well, this is the Roman culture. And No, because when you look at the Bible, it's just taught throughout the Bible, and it's rooted all the way back to creation, all the way back to Genesis, that God designed these differences between men and women, designed this, you know, this structure of marriage all the way back before there was any culture. Now, I looked at this idea in the very first uh, a message of this, and so I'm going to touch on it just as review because we need to, but if, if you weren't here and you want to go back, it's the August 14th message. But, but here's the main ideas. You see, Genesis 1, we see the story of God creating mankind. And so we read in, John, in Genesis 1:26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, one of the things that it's easy to miss that is important to see is the interplay between the, the, the uh, singular and plural. 
See, so we look here and it says, what, let us make man singular in our image after our likeness and let them, plural, have dominion. So God created man singular in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what's going on? And the, and the answer to this is the word man is probably better translated mankind. God created mankind in his image. And so when it's speaking of the singular, it's speaking about mankind. It's not that man is created in the image of God. Mankind is created in the image. And how does God then express that image? Well, he does it by male and female. So there's an aspect of God's image that he more fully pours into the male, into masculine, and there's an aspect of his image that he more fully pours into the feminine, into the female. And so that together we bear the image of God, which means that God wants us to have these relationships where we learn and value each other. Because the fact is, is that when I got married, you know, God brought this person into my life and, and suddenly together we better represent God. She, you know, my wife helps me to see things about God's character that aren't natural to me. It's not only in marriage, it's even having relationships with, with, with other women are beneficial for women. Seeing and learning from other men, that's beneficial because we're different. We're designed to complement each other. Now, that means that if we understand that, that we have the other-centered love that, that, that seeks to then understand and love the other person for who they are. You see, it means that we understand that God has created us as different, and therefore we want to learn to appreciate and value those differences of God's design. See, if you're married, God has put somebody in your life who sees life very differently. Their whole perspective is different. They approach life differently. And these differences were meant to complement you, to complement your strengths and weaknesses, your needs, and, as, and your gender. But because your spouse is so different, because they see things so differently, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get overwhelmed by that. It's easy to, to look at those differences not as strengths, but as weaknesses. It's easy to struggle with and, and, and even almost give up in trying to understand that other person, to fail to appreciate them for who they are. And we need to see that, you know, God has created us different, and that's by design, and he wants us to learn how to study our spouse and to know them and, and appreciate those differences and become bilingual in the way that we're to speak love. There's a call to this bilingual love. Now, that's, the, that's at the core behind everything that you see in Ephesians 5, where you see 21 calls us to universal, then everything else is husbands, love your wives. This is the unique call. Wives, this is your unique call. Now, in the past several weeks, we've been looking at the unique call teaching in Ephesians 5, and we've had help from Mike and Julie Slattery, and so thankful for their help. And, and, and so I'm not going to rehash that this morning. If you weren't here, go back online. Great, some wonderful messages. And, um, but I won't, don't want to rehash that. I'm not going to go back to Ephesians 5 as much as I want to build on that. And, and, and look at that call to bilingual love from some different angles, and even looking at different scripture. And what we're going to see is that when we look at this call to bilingual love, if we learn to have bilingual love, especially within our marriage, it's going to include a couple things. And, and this is by no means, I could, you know, all-inclusive. It's just introductory. And, um, and the fact that we remember that our spouse is different by design, these are rooted in the good fact that they bear an aspect of God's image. They help complement our needs. And if we understand that, then one of the things that bilingual love will include is the appreciation of the differences, appreciating how your spouse is different. Now, when I'm going to do the, talk about this, I'm going to talk some about some 
gender generalizations, some stereotypes. And I need to kind of take a moment and just mention that. Now, they are called generalizations because they're generally true, but not always true. There are certain things that are generally true about men, generally true about women, and, um, but it's not always true and not necessarily true. So in other words, if, if something, if a, you know, if a, if a trait doesn't match up with you and, and kind of here's traditional within that gender, that doesn't mean that you're less of that gender. In fact, I've seen people that have studied this and say that on average, you know, people, when you say a generalization, it's generally true like 80% of the time. And I'll say that almost everyone, we have one trait that is more consistent with the other gender that we're kind of switched on. That's normal for most of us. So for example, okay, a generalization of men is that men are very physical, mechanically minded. They like to fix things. They like to build things. In Home Depot, that's the ultimate store for men. That's where they go to buy their toys. I mean, their tools, the things they need. You know, and it's just, that's what men do, right? And so we have, you know, we have that picture of masculinity. And I think of, you know, Tim Allen and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, you think of that, you know, even his last man standing. And that's that picture of an outdoor man, hunter, builder. Now, that's generally true of most men. It's not true of me. I don't know how to fix anything. I don't know how to build anything. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's a few other can relate to me. And it's awesome. And, and the fact is, is that, I mean, it's like we have in our closet, we have, you know, it, you, know you change a light bulb and it's like, that's good. And, and it's, it's, you know, we got a um, fluorescent light bulb and it's like, how do you fix it? I figured out how to fix it. I replaced a fluorescent light bulb. I was expecting a parade for my wife. It's like, I did something that's, that's good for me. And uh, in fact, early on, she expected me to fix things and, and we tried to do some things. And if it's at all more complicated, more than a light bulb, I think she realized, hey, let's call someone because if you try to fix it, it's going to be more expensive to have the person come and fix your fixing than it would be just to call them from the onset. Now, I'm not good at that. Does that make me less masculine? No. Do I have to try to force it to be a real man? No, that's one aspect of generalization of masculinity that's not true of me, but it doesn't make me less masculine. Or in the same way, we have married couples, and pretty much every married couple, you're going to have one area that's traditionally more masculine, that the man is more feminine, and, and vice versa, that's almost reversed roles. So for example, uh, later in this message, we're going to talk about communication and how we talk. And, and when Mike and Julie Slattery were here, they talked about that, that how women on the whole are more talkative than men. But they openly shared. Mike shared, you know, that's not true in our marriage. He said, I'm, I'm the talkative one. I'm the one that wants to talk. She's the one that's quiet, internalizes things. Now, that doesn't make him less masculine, her less feminine. It doesn't mean that their marriage is, it just means that that generalization is switched in their case. But even though while it's not 100% true, we still need to talk about it because it's generally true. And these differences are often places of misunderstanding and frustration. And so let me try to risk kind of going through some of those generalizations and some of those differences. And I'm going to start by trying to explain women, which I know is a really dangerous thing. Um, in fact, I, I was thought I could do some research and I found this book, you know, Everything Men Know About Women. And I thought, okay, this is going to help me because I read the back. It says, famed psychologist Alan Lovell Francis has written a landmark book on men's understanding of that most complex in, uh, creatures, women based on thousands of men from all over walks of life, and he presents the most complete picture ever revealed of men's knowledge of the opposite sex. And you know, free, fiercely frank, brilliantly insightful, and it spells out, and I'm thinking, this is great, and then open it up, it's all blank. <laughs> Here's everything that men understand about women, okay? It's like, 
Okay, that's kind of discouraging. And it's like, okay, well, how do... But in spite of the fact that we willingly admit we don't know anything, let me try. Uh, here's some generalization differences. Generally, women have an appreciation of beauty that men don't have. And um, there's this natural sense of beauty. I, I think about this. I was 27 when we got married. I had my own apartment that I owned. For a while, I lived there by myself, and I decorated it. And when I decorated it, I painted it all antique white, which is the perfect color. It never goes out of style. It goes with everything. And I didn't put any things on the walls, because if I put something on the wall, it just only creates a hole that has to be filled in later. I didn't want to do that. And, you know, so, but, it, but in my opinion, my apartment was decorated perfectly. And then I got married, and it all changed very quickly. I mean, Sandy comes in, and she wants to paint in different colors. And, and, the, and the strange thing, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, she's talking about colors. I don't even know what the words mean. You know, again, men, we have an eight-color crayon box. That's the only colors I know, red, blue, yellow, you know, black. And she's sitting there, well, but that's not the right color blue. I'm like, it's blue. How do you have the wrong color of blue? I mean, it's just, and it's like, and then she sends out some word that I don't even know what it means. And I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever you say. And so, so she's, and she's putting, you know, things on the walls and all kinds of decorations and, and buying things. And, and even, for example, I mean, she comes in the bedroom and she's buying like all these pillows. Now, it's one thing to have, I like lots of pillows on my bed that you use, but she buys pillows you don't use. And, and it's like, why do you put, this is the room that nobody goes into, but you have pillows that nobody uses that you got to put on in the morning and then you take off when you want to use the bed. That makes no sense to me. And I said, what are they? She said, well, they're pillow shams. No, they're pillow scams. You're spelling it wrong. I mean, it's like, that's, that's the whole idea of it. And it, I don't understand it. She, that's way different. And other women are way more in touch with their emotions. Uh, it's not that men are less emotional. We feel the emotions just like women do. We just don't know it. And uh, so we are, you know, and again, here's where, like, men have only an eight-color crayon box. We only have a four-color emotion box. I mean, I know happy, sad, hungry, mad. And that's about it. You know, that's about... And, and so Sandy's um, women are way more in touch. So they feel something, oh, they can talk about it, express. And some, something would happen, and this still happens. Something happens that she looks at it and says, boy, that must be hard. How do you feel about it? And my honest response is, I don't know. How am I supposed to feel? And I, I guess I'm supposed to have emotion, but I have no clue what it is. You know, and just, and, but she's aware, and she draws that out. That's a difference. Uh, or I can think of another difference is women are far more relational. They're wired to pursue relationships. They, again, studies show that they, on average, talk, use two and a half more times words than men. And, uh, you know, so we come home at the day, we've used all words. We're done. She's just getting started. And, uh, and, and what I see is a big difference with this. Sandy will get together with a friend and she'll say, hey, let's get together. Let's go out to lunch. I just want to spend time together. And that's what women do. Men never do that. You see, if I were to even approach a man and say, hey, Keith, let's get together. And, you know, let's have lunch. Well, the first question is why? What? What are we going to talk about? And if I say, I just want to spend time with you, it's going to be like, oh, back away. I'm going to scare you, man. You know, that's intimidating. You know, men, men don't do that, but women do. And so there's all these differences of the way that we're wired. Now we can talk about men, and, and we kind of mentioned some of them. Men are, and we are less aware of our emotions, and advantage of that is that, boy, that can make us more perseverant. That can, you know, men can move forward even when someone is trying to hurt our feelings, when something difficult is happening. If there's a sense that, that there's a positive of perseverance that comes with that. And again, it's not that we're less emotional, we're just less aware of that. Um, that we're initiators. 
Men are the ones, so even when you think of who starts things and who, you know, we're initiators. We're always like, what else can we do better? In parenting, you think about that, you know, just you have a child that falls down. And what happens? The woman comes and, oh, I'm care for you, you know, very compassionate. The dad's like, well, get up, you know, move forward, you know, keep trying. And, and there's a difference of the way that we see things, the way that we think. Um, men are generally physically stronger. We want to be the protectors. We want to, we're going to get up in the middle of the night and go downstairs and see, you know, make sure that we're protecting our family. And here's what we need to realize. We need to recognize those differences, appreciate those differences, recognize that they're, that they're all created by God, and not only appreciating them, but if we appreciate them, then likewise we need to learn to value them. Then not only do I recognize that there's this difference, but God has put this person in my life who sees things from a totally different perspective, and the difference is by design, because I am healthier because of that person's perspective. You see, it's hard to understand, and because of that, it's easy to become frustrated because it's so different. But if I appreciate and then value I realize that instead of resenting the difference and seeing it as a weakness, I value it as a strength, sometimes frustrating, but it helps me be a healthier person and help a healthier family. See, it means that I not only see Sandy has in her femininity things that I can appreciate, but they're things that I need that bring help. And I might not even see that. So for example, I mean, how many men ever go into a room? Do you ever go into a room and think about, oh, I wonder how that room smells? Do you ever think about that? Men, we don't do that. That's the beauty. That's, now, women do. So Sandy, you know, Sandy will go out, she buys scented camels, candles and scented uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, other oils and things like that. Now, my natural tendency, and especially Erlan, would be like, you spent 20 bucks for scented wax? I mean, what a waste of money. I mean, it's like our budget. And, and I could naturally resent that. But over time, I've learned, hey, you know, coming into the fall and smelling pumpkins better than smelling sweat. You know, that's good. That's a good, you know, my life is better because of how she perceived. Now, if I, I can resent it or I can value it. And God has called us to look at that and to recognize, okay, yes, she does things in our home, but our home, my home beforehand, it was kind of boring. It was kind of ugly. I, I will you know, now admit that. I'm thankful for what she's done. I'm sometimes frustrated, but I appreciate and I value that. And that makes our marriage better. It makes everything better. Not only that, but it's, we not only need to appreciate and value, but we need to also see that part of this bilingual love is that we need to learn to see things from the other person's perspective. The fact is, we are wired radically different as men and women. And I think back about, you know, our tendency is to say, well, they need to understand me. They need to Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. What does it say? It is, does not insist on its own way. Love is always looking to go to the other person. These differences are so deep, it's literally dealing with hardwiring in our mind. So let me try to illustrate this. I'm gonna first of all start by saying an illustration that may help women understand men. Now, this is a really old illustration. I can't think of a better one, so I have to explain it for those that are you know, younger than like 50. Um, it's that women's minds run on Windows and men's minds run on DOS. Now, we understand Windows. Uh, windows are how all computers work now. It allows you to multitask. So you have multi multiple programs that are open at the same time. And so women are like that. You know, they can, Sandy could be, you know, working on while well, we're fixing dinner and then she's dealing with kids and then she's done with this and she goes to work call and she, and she just goes from one thing to another to another and, she, and, and she's able to manage all those balls at the same time. Now, that's not true for men. Men are like DOS. Now, to understand DOS, I have to go to a picture of an old computer. 
See, old computers, what would happen is you would have, didn't have a hard drive, you would put in a floppy disk that had a program that would run. So I'd have a word processing program. I would work on that word processing program. Then I would have to close the word processing program and put in the calendar program. It's a totally separate program. You could run run program at a time. Now, that's how most men's minds work. We can do one thing at a time. And, it, and, you know, and you've got to realize that as women, as you, you're coming and throwing things at, at you know, your husbands, a lot of times we're just not physically capable of handling all the different things that you're throwing at us. We can't think that way. You know, what will happen is you're, you know, you're, you've got parenting programs. I, I come home. And Sandy's like, well, here's something that happened to the kids, and here's, we've got this happen. And I've got my work program still open. And she's giving me this, all this information, but it's all in the wrong program, so none of it's getting recognized, and none of it's getting stored. So what happens countless times in our relationship is Sandy will tell me, some, I, I told, you, you know, told you about this, and I'm like, was I there when you told me? It's like, you know, yeah, you were there. Well, I was there, but the wrong program was open. So if the work program was open, you're giving me parenting stuff, none of it got recognized. None of it is restored. Now, one of the things, is we've, this has been so helpful for us in our marriage, is we've understood this, and I appreciate Sandy's, you know, trying to relate to me. I literally, because she'll, she'll come and she'll say this, this, and I literally, it's not that I don't care, I cannot follow her. And what I've learned to do is I've learned to be able to say, you know what, the work program's open. And instead of that being a rejection, of I don't want to care about it. She, what I'm saying is I do want to care about it, but if I fake it now, you're not going to get the best of me. And so, and she'll even ask me, it's like, what program's open? Well, this program, okay, well, let me give you, can you shut it down and when can we open this program? And that's what happens for us is we're learning to be able to do that and I'm learning to ask and she's learning to understand. And not only that, you've got to realize not only one program at a time, but most of our processors are really slow. So we're like slow processing speed, so it takes us a while. And, and, and the way we handle stress, I mean, you know, when, when, when we have stress, what you need to do is you want to talk and you want to unwind and you want to process it. And with men, when we handle stress, what we want to do is turn off the computer. We want to reboot. You know, we've got to shut everything down. And so, you know, what will happen is you'll be stressful and, she, and, and, and the woman will come and say, well, let's talk about it. Let's, and you're like, you know, she, she's looking at it and saying, you know, what are you thinking about? And, and the answer is, I'm thinking I want to be left alone. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm th I can't handle this. Let me shut it down. Let me process. We just think so differently. But that often comes across as rejection. And it comes across as frustration until we understand, okay, we're just, this is the wiring. And we're called to be bilingual, to, to not insist on our own way, but to love each other according to each other's needs. Now, let's go to the, an illustration that helps men understand women. That's, that's the idea that men's minds are like waffles and women's minds are like spaghetti. Now, the first part of that is kind of consistent with a DOS. So it's, you think of a waffle. So if you think of a waffle, it's made of a bunch of little boxes that don't intersect at all. And that's the male brain, all right? You know, we have a box for everything. It's a separate box. We have a box for our marriage, a box for the car, a box for the kids, a box for work, a box for a hobby. We have all these boxes, and the rule is the boxes never touch. And so you have one box, you deal with it, you put it back in, you close that box, and then you can go to another box. It's the DOS idea as well. And um, now here's the thing is that the difference is women are like spaghetti. And it's, they're made of this big ball of wire where everything is connected to everything. It's not that their minds are mush. That's not the idea. But the idea is that what happens over here is connected to the spaghetti string that's connected to way over here. 
And, and so they're all connected and they're all driven by this incredible energy of emotion. So something happens and, you know, and, and from a man's standpoint, if something happened to me at work in this morning, I'm going to come home this evening and it's just, that's in a totally different box. It's not related. Something happens to, you know, to, to Sandy at work in the morning. If she's driving in the car, someone cuts her off. I come home, she's still bothered by it. She wants to talk about it. It's impacting our relationship. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? That just makes no sense. But the fact is, it's all a spaghetti. It's what happened here is connected to here. There's, she has emotion about it. She needs to process it. And we need to realize that, that what happens in one place impacts the whole day. Now, as men, we don't get that, and we try to ignore it. We try to avoid it. But God's just wired our wives' lives, minds differently. And so one of the things is in doing is understanding that and appreciating that and learning to speak their language. And one more aspect of this that kind of builds on it and this being bilingual in love is it's, it's, it's also we need to learn to speak each other's language in a sense of, of in communication. The fact is, communication is huge in marriage. We all know that, right? But the problem is that we communicate differently, and even the very purpose of communication is different. You see, when we look at that, you say, the reason why we talk is different. See, men tend to talk for information. When we're talking, we want to give information. We're trying to say, here's what happened. And, and when I listen to my wife, I'm trying to get the information. See, women tend to talk for interaction. The key thing is involvement. Men, it's all about the facts. It's about here's the facts, here's what happened, and how do we solve the problem? Women, it's more about the feelings. This happened, this is how I felt about it, and I want you to understand me. I want you to, in a sense, even when we talk, you know, men want the cliff notes, women want the novel. You know, we want the whole, they want the whole story. And, um, and again, even part of that is that's where research shows that on average, in generalization, women speak two and a half times more words than men. And, and you know, so they, you know, men, you know, we want to talk about something, it's going to be, what's the point? We should have, a, every discussion should have a starting point, a middle point, and an end point, and we want to move through the details to that point as quickly as possible. See, women, no, it's, in fact, one of the things that we deal with all the time is I'll ask Sandy a question. I think it's a yes or no question. And she will give me an answer, and it's a five-minute answer. And after the five-minute answer, I will come back and I will ask the exact same question I started with, because in that five-minute answer, there was no yes or no. And, um, and the fact is, is it made her, it, it was connected to the spaghetti and it connected the emotion and she had, to, she had to tell me what happened through the day and process that and all the emotions and all the things that were going to go behind whatever the answer eventually is. Now, part of loving her is instead of getting frustrated with that, is learning to say, okay, that's, she just communicates differently. I have to learn to value that. I have to learn to appreciate that. And even in the content of the information, See, again, we don't we speak differently. I think a good, good, good example is, is, let's say if we have somebody, a friend that had a baby, and especially in the pre-pandemic age, you know, I'd go to the hospital and I'd go and visit and I'd say, hey, I, you know, we had this person and they had a baby was born and I got to see him and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, the baby's healthy and it's a baby boy and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking at it and said, I feel like I really did a good job remembering to tell her that I visited, communicated all the important information. What else could she possibly want from her emotionally connected husband, right? And she starts asking me all kinds of questions, you know, all kinds of things. You know, she, she looks at it and says, well, what did they name him? Um, they gave him a name. I think it was an M, you know. Yeah, you know. I, I remembered it was a boy. I thought that was really good. And, uh, you know, 
And, and you know, how big was, was the baby? And how long was the labor? You want me to ask a woman how long her labor was? I mean, you think that's a good answer? I'm not asking that question. Did they have hair? They had a cap on. I couldn't tell if they had hair. You know, now, meanwhile, she goes, and, and I get a whole nother report. But it's not just the facts. That's what I'm looking for. I get this whole other report. And it has all kinds of information about what color, you know, you know not, not only what color their eyes are and what color, you know, how long the labor was and how big the baby was, 6'3". And I'm thinking, 6'3 seems really tall for a baby. How did that happen? You know, and, and, then, and then she's not only that, but she's like, oh, yeah, the family's coming over and here's what happened, how, you know, and, and, and what color they're painting in the nursery and, and why they chose the nursery. And it's all this information that for a man... You know, just the facts. But for her, you see, it's experience. And part of that is like saying, God has created us differently, and I need to learn to listen and value that perspective, even though it's different. Now, men, are we interested in talking? Yes. You know, but you've got to catch us at the right time. You've got to get the program down. You've got to recognize the way we talk is different. There's a process. And we need to realize even at times our wives will say something and say, what are you talking about? And sometimes it's, it's not about anything. It's just about the emotion. And we've got to realize that and love them for where they're at. Now, even as we talk about this, this is all introductory. I realize it. But I want to go back to where I started the message. You see, in the beginning of the message, I talked about the fact that I meet with a bunch of engaged couples and I can ask them, what's easier to think of, the strengths or the weaknesses? And they all say, oh, the strengths. And meanwhile, I can meet with a bunch of married couples and the vast majority of them when asked the same question, oh, it's a lot easier to think of the weaknesses. Now, why is that? And again, it's an extremely important question because a great deal about the quality of your relationship is going to be determined by the fact of, of a question of are you more, fo more focused on your spouse's strengths or the weaknesses and the value that those differences bring or the frustration. And here's what you need to realize. If you're more focused on the weaknesses, the problem isn't your spouse. You don't need a new spouse. The problem is you. There was a time you were far more focused on the strengths, and the only thing that changed was you, your mindset. That's what I realized. I'd become very negative and critical in my marriage. God confronted me on that. And it's not that Sandy's strengths and weaknesses changed. It's just that my mindset changed so that I became more fixated on those things that were different and that frustrated me. And I allowed my mind to go there, and I was becoming very negative, and our marriage was going in a, wrong, in a, in a bad place. And I'm thankful that God confronted. And one of the things that God confronted me on that was that I changed. And I needed to literally make a daily decision to value the differences to be able to look at that and say, here I've got this wonderful wife, and she has great strengths, she has a lot of differences, she has weaknesses. What am I going to focus on? And one of the passages that God really brought to me, which is usually not thought of a marriage passage, but to me is one of the most important passages you could ever learn in any relationship, especially your marriage, is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And look what it says. It calls us to challenge, challenges us to focus on the strengths. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, here's what you want to realize. Sandy has tremendous strengths. She also has weaknesses. There are things that she has that aren't honorable and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. There's a lot of things that I don't have. 
If she were to choose to focus on my weaknesses and the differences in how they're frustrating, I will drive her through the, you know, drive her nuts. I have plenty of weaknesses to drive anybody nuts. I also have some strengths. And she has plenty of strengths to let me appreciate, as I did in the beginning, but she has also weaknesses and differences that if I choose to focus not on the honorable and pure and lovely and commendable, but choose to focus on the things that aren't, suddenly I become really negative and critical and my marriage is going in the wrong direction. And the difference isn't her, the difference is me. And that's true for each one of us. The problem isn't your spouse, the problem is you. And God says, okay, finally, now there are things, there are things that aren't wonderful, but whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, make it your priority to think about these things. To not go and dwell on the things that are frustrating, because that's what's natural to do. If you don't make the effort, that's where your mind will go. But you can make the choice to focus on these things. And if you make the choice to focus on these things, what happens? You suddenly realize, okay, this is somebody that God had created, and they're different, and I value those differences, and, and I appreciate And suddenly, I'm more aware of those strengths, and suddenly, as I focus on the strengths, it draws out the strengths. They become even a better person. And God brings healing in the relationship and appreciation. And, and we become not only healthier in the relationship, but healthier because of it. See, that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to choose to think on these things. It's a choice that you make. If you don't make the choice, your mind will naturally go to the negative. It's a choice that you make. And I challenge you. I want to encourage you to do that. I realize that even as we talk to people here, there's almost certainly people that you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling in your relationship. Deal with it. I'm going to challenge men particularly. You're the initiators. Take the initiation. Deal with it. And if you say, well, I'm not sure if there's a problem, let me give you a hint. If your wife thinks that there's a problem, there's a problem. And don't resist it. Be the protector and protect the marriage. And if your husband isn't willing to do that, then wife, take the initiative. God can heal. And we talked about openly, you know, that yes, my marriage wasn't always going in a good path. And I'm thankful for God's intervention. And we're on a very good path now because God can heal any relationship. And hopefully these principles are some good starting point. And we're a resource. You know, call me, call the church. We'd love to be able to support you even in this path because God's gonna, God, God wants to heal. God wants great relationships and heal that which is broken and he can do it even as he's done it in my life and so many others as well.